Welcome to the Cybersecurity Cohort. If you're exploring the topic of cybersecurity with an interest in a role that enables safe cyber practices, join your host, Heather Holliday, as she shares her cybersecurity learning journey in every episode. Now here's your host, Heather Holliday. In today's episode, we'll continue our exploration of the world of GRC, or Governance, Risk, and Compliance. Since we covered governance in the last episode, Today, we'll talk about risk and compliance. It is especially meaningful to talk about these two areas of GRC in tandem, as I often think of them as two sides of the same coin. You have risk, which is the likelihood that you'll have a less than favorable outcome. And then you have compliance, which is how you abide by the rules of governance to control the likelihood or severity of that less than favorable outcome. First, let's give a real-world example of risk and compliance. Driving a car. If we're thinking about GRC holistically, governance includes the rules of the road, traffic laws, and other requirements, like the requirement to have insurance. When it comes to risk, let's think about a common risk. Having an accident while driving. When driving, there is always a risk of having an accident it is impossible to entirely eliminate the risk. In statistical terms, you cannot ensure a 0% chance of having an accident. Accidents happen, and sometimes they are unavoidable. Sometimes they aren't even your fault. Even though you can't entirely eliminate the possibility of an accident, you can take action to mitigate those risks. Mitigating a risk includes the actions that you take to avoid an accident altogether, as well as the accident actions you take to lessen the severity of an accident, should one be unavoidable. Risk mitigation starts with evaluating your risks. Here are a couple of questions we could use to evaluate our accident risk. Number one, what's likely to cause an accident? poor weather conditions, vehicle malfunctions, and behavior of other drivers are going to affect the likelihood of an accident. Number two, what types of accidents are most important to avoid? For example, a head-on accident with another moving vehicle is often much more severe than a one-car accident. These are just a couple of quick examples since there are lots of questions we could use to evaluate our accident risk. I'll talk more later about risk assessments and impact assessments. These comprehensive assessments are common practices used to help business professionals and technologists to evaluate risk and mitigate it. So what about compliance? Compliance is about how you control the risk you're taking. If you're an experienced driver, you often follow risk control practices aka risk mitigation practices, naturally, and without giving it much thought. You do this by simply complying with the rules of the road and the best practices for drivers. Control practices include actions like looking in your rearview mirror before you move in reverse, checking your tires before you drive off, and stopping completely at a stop sign. All these things help to mitigate the risk that you're going to have an accident or run into trouble on the road. 
These behaviors I just mentioned are good examples of manual controls. They're up to you to take action. There are other controls that are automated, such as your traction detection system, that dinger bell or warning light that goes off when you're too close to the car in front of you, or the automatic brake engagement system that prevents you from hitting the car parked behind you. Whether they're manual controls or automated controls, all these examples are things that are put into place to help you avoid an accident or mitigate your risk of an accident. So let's think about risk and controls in the context of cybersecurity. NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, defines cybersecurity risk as, quote, an effect of uncertainty on or within information and technology. Cybersecurity risks relate to the loss of confidentiality, integrity, or availability of information, data, or information or control systems and reflect the potential adverse impacts to organizational operations, i.e. mission, functions, image, or reputation, and assets, individuals, other organizations, and the nation, end quote. More and more, the discussion around cybersecurity focuses on data security. And while this is a very important component, we'd be remiss if we didn't also consider other types of risks in cybersecurity, such as physical risks, technical risks, and human risks. Securing physical equipment is absolutely an important function of cybersecurity. After all, we can't secure the data if the servers the data sits on are compromised or stolen. There is a plethora of physical hardware that needs to be secured and maintained in order to keep the entire cyber operation running smoothly. There are also a number of different ways to approach the security of these physical assets, such as security guards, cameras, locked doors, keycard entry logs, and much more. If you're part of a team that's responsible for securing the hardware, you play a very important role in cybersecurity indeed. But cybersecurity isn't just about hardware, it's also about software. As such, there are many technical risks to keep in mind, from the way you set up your network architecture to the access identity strategy, there is no shortage of technical risks that need to be mitigated through cybersecurity practices. Assessing the technical risk of your network is extremely complex, which is why many times those responsibilities are segregated into distinct roles. Individual applications, APIs, and even humans often have restricted access and abilities to only designated components rather than wholesale access to the entire network end to end. From a technical point of view, this allows each component, application, API, to focus on its area of expertise. Scanning programs, logs, penetration testing, all these things are used to evaluate risk within the network. But it isn't just the technical components that need to be restricted. In fact, one of the most common risks to cybersecurity isn't the physical security of the hardware or the technical security of the network. It's people. That's right. While the people of an organization are definitely the greatest asset, they can also be the greatest threat. 
insider threats can take a devastating toll. It behooves us to take steps to evaluate and mitigate the risk of the human element. One common practice that helps mitigate human risks is the principle of least privilege. This principle states that people should be given access at the lowest level, such as read-only access, and to the least number of assets, such as applications, as possible. Beyond the types of risks, it's also important to know and understand a few of, of the common risk frameworks. In his course, Governance, Risk, and Compliance for CompTIA Security Plus on Pluralsight, Christopher Reese notes three frameworks relevant to cybersecurity. SSAE 18, the Statement on Standards for Attestation Engagements, number 18. NIST, CFS, the National Institute Standards and Technology Cybersecurity Framework. And ESF, Enterprise Security Framework. The AICPA, American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, issued the SSAE 18, or Statement on Standards for Attestation Engagements Number 18. According to the Sprinto blog, this risk assessment framework, quote, sets out clear standards for certified public accountants, CPAs, to follow when performing attestation engagements, ensuring their reporting on financial information is accurate and trustworthy. End quote. AICPA provides further information on SSAE 18 and their statement, which calls attention to what's changed from the last version. If you're up for it, the statement page even includes a link to the full almost 300-page SSAE 18 PDF. Another important framework, CSF, or Cybersecurity Framework, comes from NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. On their page for CSF, you can find a number of resources from the framework itself to references and events meant to enhance your understanding. In fact, as of September 8th, 2023, NIST has an open call for feedback on the draft of the NIST Cybersecurity Framework 2.0. Feedback is open through November 4th, 2023. According to NIST, quote, created through collaboration between industry and government, the voluntary framework consists of standards, guidelines, and practices to promote the protection of critical infrastructure. The prioritized, flexible, repeatable, and cost-effective approach of the framework helps owners and operators of the critical infrastructure to manage cybersecurity-related risk. End quote. Finally, there are a number of enterprise security frameworks that can be used to help you build the right enterprise architecture models to align with various best practices and regulatory requirements. The course from Christopher Reese calls particular attention to NIST SP 800-53, ISO 27001-27002, and COBIT. A simple internet search of the term enterprise security framework will come up with a number of possibilities. One thing that's important to note is that the framework, or frameworks, for large or enterprise organizations is generally selected from the top of the house. 
As an employee, you'll want to know what frameworks are relevant to your industry and what framework or frameworks are used by your organization. As a matter of fact, anticipating that question in an interview would be a very good strategy. In addition to frameworks, there are other important activities and documents that are significant for risk and compliance. Risk assessment, impact assessments, business resiliency. Risk assessments are exactly that. They're the evaluations of where and how risk exists. Risk assessments are used to identify all the human, technological, and physical risks in the system. When done well, this is not a one-person job. The best risk assessments include input from many different parties with different points of view. Once again, collaboration and diversity of perspective are essential in building a solid assessment of your risk. Impact assessments are related, but with a twist. The main goal here is to evaluate that if a risk was not mitigated or not fully mitigated, what would be the risk to the organization? These risks arise in a number of ways from denial of service to reputational risk and loss of customer confidence. Measuring the impact of an unmitigated risk will help you to determine what your risk tolerance level is and how you will address managing that risk. Often, risk is measured using a heat map or a control matrix. These tools will help you to prioritize control factors that have a high likelihood and a high impact. The impact assessment can also help you to determine factors such as your maximum tolerable downtime, time to repair, and time to recover. The answer for service level agreements will likely vary. For example, based on the importance of an application and its impact to the business. When thinking about risk, it's also important to consider why we want to mitigate risk. Business resiliency is one very important reason to take care with risk assessment and impact assessments. Business resiliency plans are often used to help guide organizations through difficult times. When the COVID-19 pandemic happened, there were many different types of interruptions to businesses, many of which were relevant for cybersecurity. While many businesses had planned for temporary issues, like outages due to hurricanes or power grid brownouts, most businesses did not have a plan that would cover such a long-term occurrence as a pandemic. There were a lot of cybersecurity-related risks during the pandemic such as the risk of working from home or the risk of having a high percentage of staff out sick all at once. These risks affected the ability to do business. The best plans and frameworks keep business resiliency in mind as they consider all the risks and the best ways to mitigate them. Before I move on to compliance, there's one other consideration for why we mitigate risk privacy. When GDPR came into being, the entire world took notice. The idea that data privacy was a right of the individual and that companies had the responsibility for due diligence to not only safeguard data, but to allow the individual to make decisions about their data was very impactful. 
Privacy considerations are also a critical component for proper risk assessment. So, how is risk different from compliance? Well, risk is meant to help you evaluate your risk and consider your options to accept or mitigate it. Compliance, however, is holding feet to the fire. Compliance is about recognizing when an organization is going against the rules, governance, and creating rather than mitigating risk. Compliance officers hold people, technology, and organizations accountable for their decisions and actions. It's been said no one likes a compliance officer. Firstly, ouch. Secondly, not true. Thirdly, don't believe what you see on TV. I'm a big fan of the Showtime series Billionaires. If you're a fan, you probably recall the popularity of their compliance officer, Ari Spiros. Anyway, Spiros is a character who is deeply interested in abiding by the rules, but he is set against an organization, Axe Capital, that has a culture of breaking the rules. These investment bankers are high rollers who will risk it all for top-level returns. To the employees, the rules don't matter. They are inconsequential. The only thing that matters is the results, as in how much money they make for themselves and their employer. And it's not just the employees that engage in bad behavior. Their disregard for Spiros and all things compliance-related comes from the top, The CEO, Bobby Axelrod, is the main driver for an entire organization of misbehavior. He'd probably even prefer not to have a compliance officer at all, but hey, even Axe can't ignore the rules of the SEC. All that aside, this is where art mirrors life. You've seen the headlines. If you were around in 2001, you probably know the story of Enron quite well. A big part of their story, and downfall, can be attributed to unethical behavior and ignoring the internal counsel and wisdom of compliance. Failure to follow compliance guidelines can have significant consequences indeed. And it's not just the implosion of the company at stake. There are all sorts of repercussions for failing to comply with various rules, laws, legal obligations, and even your own internal policies. Individuals within an organization can also suffer consequences, such as jail time, heavy fines, and loss of employment, or even employability in a particular industry. In the real world, there is a lot at stake to get compliance right. Remember when we talked about the lines of defense? Compliance officers are typically in the third line of defense. They have accountability within the organization to keep track of how effectively teams and individuals are aligned to the requirements. And they also have accountability in reporting to external bodies, such as the SEC, to prove that an organization is in compliance. As such, they are often in the position with internal auditors, confirming alignment of processes, people, and controls against the governing rules, laws, and policies. NIST defines a compliance audit as, quote, a comprehensive review of an organization's adherence to governing documents, such as whether a certification practice statement satisfies the requirements of a 
certificate policy and whether an organization adheres to its certification practice statement. End quote. While compliance performs a number of reviews and enterprise organizations, they are often assigned somewhat different tasks and responsibilities than those with an internal audit title. In fact, they often work with audit when conducting their reviews. One particularly important consideration is that compliance must be free to conduct interviews to conduct these reviews independently. This means that it is absolutely a best practice to not have them sit within the teams that they are responsible for evaluating. As such, compliance teams are often segregated to a team structure that is outside of operations teams or the development teams that they are evaluating. This helps to ensure that the testing, controls, and accompanying evidence is evaluated with a critical eye rather than just as a check-the-box exercise. These evaluations help find gaps, fill gaps, and to create action plans to ensure compliance. However, compliance officers aren't just evaluators who come in before or during an audit. They are some of the organization's best advisors and helpers. They regularly answer employee questions and align responses to policies, procedures, and regulations. They are also excellent reviewers and weigh in on processes and documentation to ensure compliance from the start. From the C-suite to the newest employee in an organization, everyone plays an important role in governance, risk, and compliance. In our next episode, we'll continue our GRC topic while we explore the importance of organizational considerations. Thank you for joining this episode of the Cybersecurity Cohort. This is your host, Heather Holliday. Join us next time for another step in our journey of a thousand miles towards cybersecurity expertise. Thank you for listening to the Cybersecurity Cohort with Heather Holliday, an information services professional with more than 15 years experience in educational, publishing, and financial services industries. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and turn on alerts for new episodes. To learn more about Heather Holliday, subscribe to her free email newsletter, and to listen to episode archives, visit holidaycommunications.com.